Well, thank you so much. It's such an honor, always an honor, to open up God's Word and to share what's in there. And to be a part of a church plant is just even, even better. So we're enjoying this season of our life. I see a couple of grandbabies and kind of some grandparents who are a little uh, distracted. Um, so, yeah, no, I noticed that. Uh, just real easily distracted, almost like that teenage kid, right? Just, oh, here's the, my baby. This is mine. And, and if it stinks or does anything bomb, I can just hand it to mom and dad. And that's, that's what's great about grandparents. I have two of those um, precious things, a two-year-old and a six-month-old, and they, they love me. I, I tell them that, and I'm their favorite, and I tell them that. And we sing songs. We go for walks, and we sing songs. And I taught her a song, my two-year-old at least, a six-month-old just kind of looks at me funny. But the two-year-old sings songs. I carry her on my shoulder. We walk to the, the neighborhood, and I say, the... Kate is Papa's girl, Papa's girl, Papa's girl. Katie is Papa's girl. Yes, she is. And so when she comes home to other people, other family members are around, well, we, we start singing this song. And what makes her really giggle is that everybody it gets mad <laughs> that she's Papa's girl at that point and nobody else is. And she loves that. I, I don't know what that means about her spirit that she wants to jab people. But it... It doesn't fall far from the tree, I know, because uh, I like to do that too. So, But it's great. We live in Nashville. Both my boys were in Seattle. We lived in Seattle for many years. And both my boys, when we moved to, to Seattle just recently, uprooted their families, left jobs, and came and wanted to be in Nashville with us. And it's just a joy. It was just a couple days ago, I laid carpet uh, for my son's house. He bought a house, and we laid carpet there. And then yesterday, I loaded up their truck, and uh, out they went to their, their new house. I didn't get to unload it, darn, because I had to come here. So thank you for inviting me at the, just the key, key point. But uh, it's a great joy to have the, all our family together, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. It's good to see you, Moran. Uh, love your family just so much, and so it's a, a blessing to see you. It really is an honor. So... Well, I'm going to look at Acts chapter 12, if you want to uh, take a look there. Um, life is hard. Do you agree? Life is hard. I mean, I'm hearing stories, and my heart is breaking um, over, over a recent loss of a family. And life is hard. It, we all experience difficulty throughout our life, and it comes unexpectedly oftentimes. Are you encouraged yet? Well, life is hard, but nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And he's never surprised at what we've gone going through and what we have gone through and what we will go through. And we're not always sure that we believe that life is hard, but nothing is too hard for the Lord. I'm not sure we believe that. So that's why I want to peek in Acts chapter 12 and see a story about this very thing. Now, Peter is the main character in Acts chapter 12. Jesus is the main character through the Bible, but the person that's bringing glory to, to the Lord is Peter in this instance. He's seen as a main character. He's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. An apostle was simply someone who was sent on mission from, for God and by God. And it was a personally appointed by Jesus and personally eyewitnessed his resurrection. 
And it's typically the, an apostle would be those 12 apostles appointed by the Lord, chosen by the Lord, called by the Lord. In addition, when Judas betrayed, Matthias came in the midst of that, and so he's viewed as a, an apostle. And then Paul, an apostle, specifically to the Gentile nations, uh, he was the last one that was appointed as an official capital A apostle. There's a few people that call themselves lowercase a apostle um, that have ap apostolic type gifting. But as far as an apostle, this was the, and this was, Peter was the leading apostle. He was one of the three, Peter, James, and John, who were close to Jesus and spent most of the time with them. Um, and he was the leader of the apostles. So if you ever see a list of the apostles in the, in the Gospels, Peter's always listed first. And it's uh, Peter, James, and John listed first. But Peter's always first. And those three then were close to Jesus. So this is not just, you know, whatever his name is. Who, this guy, what's his face? This is Peter. The story will unfold with Peter coming into mind. Now, Peter had encountered, he was uh, witnessing to the Jewish nation, and all of a sudden he got hungry and he fell asleep. And he, he entered into, the Lord gave him a vision in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, and we'll get to Acts 12. Acts chapter 10, he gets into this vision, he's, remember he's hungry, so he sees these foods in the form of animals coming down from heaven in this great big sheet, and it's kind of a strange dream, I know, but and, and the Lord says, eat. And he said, no, may it not be because this is unclean. And the Lord says, whatever I have determined as clean is clean. So it is clean. You can eat it. And Peter took this as meaning that the Gentile nations who are considered unclean, in fact, Jewish people could not even be in the presence of, certainly not in the home of, Definitely not eating with a Gentile person. And here, so Cornelius gets a vision at the same time. He's praying, and he's a good man, Gentile. And the Lord says, call for Peter to come. And Peter comes and shares the good news of Jesus Christ with him. And he believes and wants to be baptized. And he's baptized. Now, this is scandalous. You're like, whatever, he got baptized. So, but this is a Gentile person. This is like, think of it like a person would come into a, a clan that's involved with ISIS. And someone gives their faith, and, and they want to be baptized. And when you're baptized, you're not just baptized, but you're baptized into the Christian family and into that, that belief system, and you're a part of it. So it isn't like, oh, they were just baptized, but they're baptized into. That's the whole idea of baptism. It's baptism into something, not just an outside act. So they're baptized into this family, this Christian family. Here is a Gentile, unclean, not as just forbidden. And they're now a part of the Christian faith. So this thing, like an ISIS person who is killing uh, others, especially Christians, and now they get saved, believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they're baptized, and they're a part of the church. And they walk in on Sunday. What do you, what do you think? Is this a normal Sunday? <laughs> this is the scandal that was taking place 
with the Gentiles, Cornelius, and Peter. So the Jewish people are a little bit flustered at, at Peter at this point, and they're a little upset. That sets the tone for Acts chapter 12 now. So let's take a peek at what this is all about. It's showing what's taken place. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Life is hard, but is anything too hard for the Lord? And uh, Jeremiah 20, 32, 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Like the Lord said, Is there anything too hard for me? I created this thing. I spoke the world into existence. Do you think I can take care of your little problem? Yes. And it's no little problem if it's yours. It's a little problem if it's yours. It's not a little problem if it's mine. You know what I mean? That's the case, and the Lord understands it. So let's look in Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 1. About that time, Herod the king, and I set the scene for you, what was taking place prior to that. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who had belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So this is Peter, James, and John. So this is John. Uh, he killed James, I'm sorry, and a uh, leading person as well. And when he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of the unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in a prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by God excuse me, to God by the church. So Herod the king is a reference to Herod Agrippa I. And he was the grandson, so here's, he was a grandson of Herod the Great who tried to kill the baby Jesus when he was born. And his father was Herod Antipas who killed John the Baptist and was there at the, at the crucifixion of Jesus. So you can see he comes from a lineage of a fine family. So Herod, at that point, said, I'm laying violent hands on those who are believers. And the Jewish people were happy about this. And it pleased them. He was a man pleaser. He wasn't a principled man. He wanted to please men. And there's a, there's a difference. And there's an important distinction. We must be disciplined, excuse me, principled people and not pleasing people because we can First of all, you can't please everyone. And it's an endless game. And the Lord is causing, calling us to please him. So Herod wanted to please them. And he noticed that, ooh, they were happy about James dying and killing him. But I got Peter. Peter is like, he's, he's on the top. I mean, he is the one. Peter is the top of the list. Hmm. And so he arrested Peter. Also, which led the church to begin praying. The prompting of prayer comes in our life when life is hard. Think about it. When do you start praying? When trouble comes. When do you stop praying? When the trouble goes away. I, I don't know why that is, but it happens to all of us. And so relax. You're not the only one. Anxiety, trouble, finance. Oh, we're worried about finances. We, finance is no longer a problem. We stop praying about it. Our health. Oh, it's so terrible. Let me pray. It's okay. Just stop praying. 
Uh, so the prompting of prayer comes as a result of issues in our life. I wonder if the Lord brings a few things to go like, hey, don't forget me. Don't forget. I want to do something awesome in your life. I'm going to show you how great it is. I'll show you how great I am, and I'm going to give you a stage. And the stage may be tragic at the time, but hang on. I'm there. It didn't take me by surprise. I know what's happening, and here it is, and I'm going to take care of it. It may not be in your timing. Maybe quicker than you think. Maybe longer than you think. But I'm here, and I'm going to see this through. I can recall praying behind my house in Nashville. Uh, I had, there's a little river that runs behind there that when it flooded, it was no little river anymore. But it was, it, there's a little walkway back there, and I was back there praying. I was praying there, seeking the Lord, asking Him and begging Him. And I was calling for Him, and, and it was like the Lord said, will you go to a land I will show you? Yes, Lord, I will. And then the next day, I, was, I got a call to go to Toronto, Canada. Can you move to Toronto, Canada and help me run this church planting network? I just told the Lord the day before I would go to a land. He would show me. I didn't mean across the border. <laughs> Lord, do you know it's cold up there? Do you understand what's going on up there? I live in Nashville, this beautiful place. And we left our house, rented it out, got our immigration papers. We were immigrants. It's just weird. It's, and going across, I mean, banking system's different. I had no credit. The person who checked on credit and said, you don't have any credit. I go, oh, I know, I don't, I don't live here. So I have credit in the U.S. And so 10 feet above on the north end, I have no credit whatsoever. Well, we can give you a credit card. That's $1,000 max. Like, it, that's what it costs to get across the border. It's $1,000. So they make you just difficult and like what what are we doing where's this happening and the Lord opened up some doors and some opportunities and, and just did some great things through this process and then our network said we want you to go back to the U.S. and lead and direct the U.S. church planting in the United States and I said can I live in Nashville they said yes and here come our boys, unexpectedly. And the Lord provided for them awesome jobs. And they'll come back. And so what I thought was like, Lord, a prayer and a, and a plea to him. He was saying, I want to show you. I want to take you through a journey. And I'm going to bless you doubly. Is it anything too hard for What prompts in our life is issues, trouble, trials come in our life. Outside of problems we probably don't feel prompted to pray a lot because we, we rarely attempt anything that's beyond our comfort zone. I, I call it the, the intersection that comes into follow me and I'll make you fishers of men and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What great thing are you attempting? So part of, it's not just problems, but what about opportunities that would come? What about opportunities that would, might come in your life? What are you calling for the Lord to do in your life? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And I can do all things through Christ. We want to avoid that intersection for sure. It's just too busy. It's too congested. It's, we, somebody's going to get hurt. 
And so we don't spend time at that place where he is equipping you to do this work. And it's to make disciples of all nations. And he's calling us to do this. So come, follow him. And that leads us to a place of prayer. Leads us to this joyous place of prayer. A dependence on him. See, when we have financial or marital or domestic or uh, just tragic issues, health, we, are link, we start praying. But what about if we did it when we were seeking the Lord to do something phenomenal, something that is just going to be, we regard this need as huge, and he's going to have to provide. My wife has... We've, we've experienced some health issues uh, she has for three years. She began with uh, some kidney. Both of her kidneys kind of messed and weren't wor working properly. And she's been on prednisone for three straight years now. She's at a place right now where the symptoms, she's symptom-free for the first time in three years. She's still on a small dosage of, of prednisone, steroids, so... She probably won't be able to play in the, the baseball association. So that just, she, won't, she, won't, she won't pass, and so she's got steroids. But she's, she's going through this, and the doctors in Toronto said, you're in remission. Go off all your medication. You're fine. And that's what they, all the doctors said would happen. Oh, good. It's finally, it's finally over. That portion of our life is finally over. Come with me on some trips, Jeannie. So she comes. And she passes out on the plane on the way to Colorado. She, I got to go to the restroom. Okay. And I let her out to go to the restroom. She goes, I'm not going to make it in because we're sitting in coach. So she goes through the Holy of Holies <laughs> called First Class. And the... The flight attendant's going, no, stop. You are lower class. You belong back there, back there with all the other cattle. No. And so I said, I went like this. She's going to throw up. That's a universal sign for <laughs> Even in Canada, that works. It's like, people know what that means. It means step aside, move out of the way. So she did, and she made her way to start in the front. She was holding on to the chairs. And I said, what? Something's wrong. And then she hit where there was no more chairs, and she fell flat and so there she was first class sprawled out passed out but she went through a really she dove down physically to a, a terrible place so I started basing out of her father's basement because she couldn't be moved while we're there while we're there a group of people gather around and then we end up being there I ended up being there for about a year, and Jeannie was there for about a year and a half, and I was going back and forth to Canada and coming to the basement of my father-in-law's house, which is as joyous as you can imagine it. <laughs> and so we're there, in there, and we start meeting with a group of people who are seeking the Lord. And before you know, we're starting a church. It was like my day off, I'm starting a church. I'm not doing anything on Sunday anyway, right? <laughs> I'm working, so I'm flying to Canada during the week, all over Canada. On the weekend, I'm coming home. I'm preparing sermons on planes on the way home, preaching, gathering. This is really what took place. We ended up buying a building in the downtown area. There's no other church located in the city center in this city. Not a single other church in the downtown city center area. 
We bought a building there. Shouldn't be able to do that as a church plant that was a week old. <laughs> and we were able to purchase. People actually gave us a loan. I'm not sure why, but they gave us a loan. We ended up buying this restaurant, bar, and we enter in and we start holding service. So before the first time, I come home. I'm, we're there at the building getting it ready for the very first Sunday. So it's Saturday night. We're setting up chairs and things that we stole from a, a church. Well, I got permission from a guy at the church. I don't know if he belonged to the church, but he, he'd let us. Yeah, sure, you can take these. That's fine. Um, senior pastor didn't know anything about it. But we, anyway, we put these chairs up. We got them all ready. And I come home and Jeannie's crying. And I said, what are you crying about? Which is not a good thing to, to ask. Because the answer to that is like, you should know why I'm crying. <laughs> I've, I've come to find out that that's, that's really the answer. You should already know why I'm crying, why I'm upset. And so, but I still, I'm hard-headed and I can't get this. I say, why are you crying? Because there was no obvious reason why she was crying. I mean, she just got sick. And she said, there's a church starting tomorrow because of you being here in Colorado. And you're here in Colorado because I got sick. If being sick is what it took to start this new church in the downtown area, it was worth it. Now she told me, she said, that's not... As she's not always that Mother Teresa. She said, there's, that's, there's fleeting moments where she doesn't feel that at all. It's like, I am angry at whatever that, that she's experiencing this. But at that moment, she felt like the right perspective was, this is what the Lord has called us to do. My sickness brought us here. By being here, a church was started. Now, here's how it turns out. We're a church, what we call... To the nuns and duns. Uh, not the nuns like that, that wear habits and things, but nuns as in not. None would have people that don't know Christ and those that are done with the church. Not done with Christ, but done with the church. So we, we're none, done, and then people in the middle that want to reach out to those who are none and done. It works perfectly in a bar. <laughs> so we, we have service, we have our first baptism. Uh, this lady comes to faith, and she didn't tell me all her background, but she comes to faith, and then we have a baptism. She's a part of that group that gets baptized. And so afterwards, we have a meal, because we're it's a restaurant too, so we have, a, we have a meal every week after Sunday. And so I'm sitting with her and I said, tell me your story. And she says, I was up in this building in that room, we meet upstairs. In that room upstairs, called the VIP room, she said, when it was a bar, I was up there selling drugs. In this very building, in this very room, upstairs, on that couch, in that corner, I was selling drugs. She said, and today, I was baptized in that same room in which I sold drugs because Christ transformed me and made me whole. Why do things happen in our life? We don't know. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. So what prompts us 
to prayer is a lot of times it's issues that come about. The second one is this, that there's a persistence of prayer. So verse 5 says, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by God, excuse me, made to God by the church. So Peter's imprisonment prompted the church to pray earnestly, that's strenuously. You ever prayed strenuously? I'm not sure. Do we pray that way? Lord, help me, whatever. Bless his food, and our eyes are open, and we've already taken a couple of fries already. <laughs> right? Are we playing strenuously? I don't know if that counts or not, but it's strenuous. Oh, that, it was so hard to fold my hand. What, what is strenuous? It's, it's praying for deliverance. Which power was stronger? The dungeon that kept Peter or God who could deliver? And we know that it was the Lord. And sometimes the Lord disassembles, dismantles, dissolves our resources so that we'll come to a place of prayer, an earnest, strenuous prayer. We knock on the door of prayer only when other doors are locked. We need to go there first. Our knees are more often bent when our back is broken. So God is inviting us to pray. He's inviting us to pray. Let me read 2 Corinthians 1.8 just real quickly. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the afflictions we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. You've been there? How bad is it? Was that going through a hard time? They had to wait through a red light? What, how hard was this? This was huge. We didn't even want to live. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely, not on ourselves, but on a God who raises the dead. How powerful is the Lord compared to our issue? He can raise the dead. And he delivered us from such a deadly peril that we would deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also might help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So it's not only us praying, but others praying on our behalf and for us and with us is causing them to say, that Lord, I remember that Lord who was able to raise the dead. I remember that Lord who was able to deliver. I remember that Lord and our prayers to God and others' prayers for us and with us bring that persistent, strenuous prayer in our life. Well, there's a partnership in prayer. Verse 5 says, Peter was kept in present. The earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. That others are praying for the deliverance of Peter. Verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together praying for his deliverance. And so we see this. The, the first thing that the church did when it had a problem was what? Form a committee. <laughs> Hire a consultant. Raise a, do a GoFundMe account. What'd they do? Pray. 
They prayed. That's the first thing that they did when they gathered together. And their prayer wasn't just this private thing. I'll be praying for you. It was a corporate thing that we did with one another. In South Africa, they have a word called Ubuntu. Ubuntu. And it means I am because we are. And the story is told of these South African children. Whether or not it's true, I don't know if it's just legend. But that these, this person brought a basket of candy, which is not normal to have in South Africa, with these, among this group of children. And he put it by the tree, and he got all the children together, and he said, the first one to the tree, the first one to the tree gets all the candy. Ready? Go. And they all grabbed hands, one by one, these little kids, and they ran to the tree, and they went there, and they divided up the candy so that every child had candy. And then, I think there's a picture here. They sat under here, this Ubuntu, the next one, means I am because we are. They sat around this circle, eating their candy at their feet. This beautiful picture of their feet, pointing towards each other, going like, this is not just a private thing, but because we are. I am because we are. The Lord is calling you to this body, this family, to engage in it, not just at a private level, but as a family. I love the local church. I love it. I, I love, I, last week I was preaching at City Church, our church in Colorado, packed full. We did another baptism. It was an amazing time together. I didn't want to leave. I was there, we had dinner afterwards, and I, I was there with them till the, I was almost the last one to leave. Today I get to go home and be a part of a small group. I lead a small group uh, at my local church in Nashville, and we get to be together. And it's a part of this. We can't do this alone. We need each other. We need each other, and the Lord has caused us to be put together and to find our strength together, not private, together. There's a partnership in prayer. We can't let problems drive us into the darkness. We need to let, us, let them drive it to the sun. It's kind of corny. But it can't drive us. When the way that happens is we're around other people. There's partners around me. There's partners around me holding me up. So then we see the peace of prayer. Verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the doors were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. Now, Understand this. <laughs> Peter was in prison only awaiting the Passover. And the Passover was remembrance of that time when the Israelites were led out of Egypt and they would put the blood on the, on the doorposts and they would be led out safely that no one would be killed. When the death angel passed by and the blood was not applied, then the first child, firstborn son was was killed, and those who had the blood applied were set free, and they were delivered. 
from the slavery of Egyptians. Now, they're waiting for this, and this remembering this time, this Passover was not yet, and Peter knew the days, and he knew he had, this was the last night, and yet what was he doing? He, first of all, he's chained between these soldiers, and they're watching him. And it, it's not like, not like the Holiday Inn. It's not like anything. It's just horrid, dirt floor, probably smelled. And, and yet he's, he's sleeping on the last night of his life. He's sleeping. Did you see it? It says, no, and Herod was about to bring him out. On that very night, Peter was what? Sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door and guarding the prison. And the angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell, and the angel still had to strike him. Okay, come picture this. Like, okay, this is the last night of my life. I'm going to be killed tomorrow. Herod is bloodthirsty. It's in the family. <laughs> he killed James, my buddy, James. He's going to kill me. The crowd is for this. I'm not so much, but the crowd is for this. It's going to happen. This is my last night. What's he doing? <laughs> Seriously? Like, if something tragic is happening in your life, are you just sleeping? Are you? Is that what's taking place in your life? What kind of peace does it take to go, it's in the Lord's hands, to be sleeping on the last night of your life? And if a light shone in your cell, this is pitch dark. It's pitch dark. It wasn't like this nice little fluorescent candelabras in the cell. This was like, it's pitch dark in the ground, down underneath, no light, and a great light comes. Whoosh, my wife does that to me sometimes. Flips on the light because she needs to see something. And I don't just, I'm going like, what, what, what's going on? But especially if I'm like anxious about something. Something's going to happen like my life is going to be over tomorrow. Like I don't even have, I had my last supper. I don't even have my next breakfast. It's over. I don't get anything. And peace came upon Peter knowing that the church was praying for him and this whole thing was in his hands. I get to see Jesus tomorrow. I get to walk. I'm done. This is all. The peace came on him. And the angel had to smack him upside the head to get his attention, which is also something my wife does. But we won't get into that. So Jesus, remember, Jesus was asleep in the boat. A great wind was taking and rocking the boat. And he said, Master, do you not care that we perish? And these were fishermen, so they knew the water. Yet they're going, and Jesus was down underneath sleeping. Do you not care? Oh, God. Let me take care of this. Oh, you of little faith. Peace. Storm. Water. Let me just steal it. And they were like, what did he just do? It's like completely calm. Like they're skipping rocks across it like, like a little kid would. It's just calm. And they're amazed at what the Lord can do. And your storm is rocking. And you've probably said those things. Lord, do you not care that we perish? That we're going through this, these issues of health or finance or tragedy or problems. Mm. 
My mother-in-law came to visit. I mean, it could be really bad. No matter what trial, burden, decision, heartache, or challenge is facing right now, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Jesus said, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Finally, the power of prayer. Acts 12 and verse 8. The angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and he followed him. He didn't know what was being done by the angel. It was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. He was having a dream. When they'd passed through the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them of its own accord. It took two men to pull this thing open and it just went like open, like you're going through those automatic eye doors at the grocery store. This thing just opens up. When I was a little kid, I used to like to, to push those things and let them open and let them shut and then open again. Just irritate my mother. She does that now. But when they had passed through the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate, opened up for them as long as cord and went out and went along the street. And immediately an angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure the Lord has sent his angels and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And he realized this and he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and praying. And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant, and so it was an outer gate, and then there was an inner gate. And here's the deal. If a prisoner is let go, and whatever his sentence was, the guards would have to have the same sentence upon them. And his was death. There's four guards, and they let him go. These four guards are going to be killed if they don't go find Peter. So they're going after, trying to figure out, what, where did Peter go? Because we're going to be sentenced. We let him go. We're going to have the same sentence on us. And so this is kind of the urgency. So he goes to the outer gate, and there Rhoda meets him. He realizes he went to the house of Mary. And verse 13, And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her, in her joy she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Like, Rhoda? Like, he can't scream because these people looking for him. Rhoda, don't leave me hanging here. I'm going to be killed. Just let me in the inside. Let me in the yard. And... They said to her, Sister, you're crazy. That, that's, you have to know Greek to be able to, to know. That's what he said. He said, you're out of your mind. Sister, you're crazy. He's not there. Now, what were they doing? What were the people doing? They were praying for him. And what were they praying? That he'd be released. And what happened? He was released. And so when he was released, he came to the door and they said, Sister, you're crazy. <laughs> we, were, we had to raise $60,000 as a church, this new church plan. We had to raise $60,000 for this, this building as a down payment. And people looked at me and said, Dude, they changed it. Didn't call me sister. Dude, you're crazy. And I said, I know. I know, but let's pray for it. And then I announced one Sunday, I just got a check this week. Pulled out of my pocket, 
It was $20,000. And I said, this puts us over the top. And we're at 60000 And people said, is that real? Like, what have we been praying for? <laughs> what have we been praying for? I can't believe it happened. And they're going like, he can't be. He, it's a ghost, they thought. The, the legend was that if you were killed, your ghost would kind of roam the world for just a little bit. It's kind of a false teaching. But, but they thought, well, this is what it is. But she kept on insisting that it was so. It's his angel, they told him. It's his ghost. But Peter continued knocking. Yeah, because like, I'm going to be killed. Like, I got out of the prison gate. I got let go. Angel comes smack me upside the head. I go through the automatic doors that weren't automatic until I walk through them, and I'm out here, and now I'm going to get killed out in the field because she won't open the door. <laughs> Peter kept knocking, and he opened, and they were amazed, but motioning to them, like, don't make a ruckus here. Like, you're, there's, a, oh, there's a big ruckus over here. We're going to go, that's where Peter probably is. And they're saying, like, quiet. The Lord brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James. Uh, and to the brothers, and then he departed and went to another place. So the persistence of prayer, the power of prayer. Now here's what amazes me. So throw a little couple of you off, and I want to do that on purpose. What kind of faith did the people have? It was just pretty small, wasn't it? They go like, it's not him. It's his ghost. It's his ghost. It's like, it's, it's not him. It can't be him. What are we praying for? Peter's release. I know, but it's not him. No, Rhoda's saying, it's him. I know his voice, and uh, it's just him. No, it can't, be. it can't be him. What kind of faith did they have? Zero. What kind of faith does it take for the Lord to answer prayer? Now, hold on. They don't have enough faith to believe, so it didn't happen. They had nothing, and the Lord still answered their prayer. Thomas Watson, an old Puritan, says this, one of my favorite Puritans, says this, The angel fetched Peter out of the prison, but prayer fetched the angel. It was the prayer of the people, the the power of prayer in our life, even if we have OU of little faith, it's just keep praying. Keep praying. And the Lord's like, I'm just going to show off here a little bit. That's why my wife's term is it. The Lord's just showing off right now. I don't know if the Lord could show off, but that's her term to say, He did something amazing that we didn't even think about. We didn't have a belief to ask Him. And He's just showing off. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. What man is there among you who asks for bread will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children and grandchildren, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Even when we don't believe, the Lord is saying, pray. Pray. Now here's the, here's the gospel story. We're in prison, all of us. 
before we became believers in Christ, we were in prison. Condemned to die. Justly condemned to die. Unlike Peter, we're justly condemned to die. And the Lord rescued us and set us free. And the Lord took the punishment for us like the guards would have had to do because of Peter's release. The Lord took our punishment for us. And he released us from prison and set us free and gave us a new identity in him. That we're no longer called a prisoner, but we're given this fresh new identity to walk with him. He has released us. And if that's what it's pointing to as we pray, and we're saying, Lord, it isn't like, Lord, I got this problem. Will you fix it? The Lord is saying, let me show you what redemption looks like. You're in trial. You're in tribulation. You've had trouble. Let me show you what it means for me to release you. And don't forget, this is exactly what took place in your personal life. Where you were condemned to die, arrested, condemned to die, committing of a crime, a trespass against God, and he's released you and took the punishment on himself. Uh, and he says, I want to show you that in each one of your answered prayers. Will you believe? Will you believe? What is it you need to commit to the Lord? Say, I don't think he can handle it, so I'm not going to pray. He breathed life, breath into man and became a human being alive. He spoke the world into existence. He said, stars, let there be stars. Can he handle your problem? Yes. What is it that you're dealing with? Marriage, relationships, family, children, your parents, finance, health, tragedy that comes, loss. Can we pray? Can we pray? Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Let's pray. The call to you is to pray, to dedicate this to Him. And so, Father, our hearts are sometimes hard because we don't believe. Sometimes prideful because we think we can handle this. Lord, I got this, I got this. And sometimes ignorant to know how you want to show off and show yourself as alive and remind us that you've redeemed us and you've rescued us and you continue to do so in our life. And whatever stage you set, Lord, may you get the glory, may you get the honor, may you get the praise. Use us as your servants. We commit ourselves to you. We commit our issues to you. And so I ask you right now just to think about what issue is at hand right now that you're dealing with. What is that major issue that's right at hand right now? Think about it. Put it in your hand. Cup your hand open and say, this is what's in my hand right here. I'm dealing with whatever issue that might be. 
Put it in your hand. And now, throw your hands down and release them to the Lord. You're no longer holding on to that issue, but you're giving them to Him. You're giving this issue to Him. It belongs to Him. It's no longer yours. You're not holding on to it. You're releasing it to Him so He can do what He wants to do for His glory. So Lord, we praise You. We pray for these dear ones here. Some going through a multitude of issues, some of which they haven't even expressed among their family. We invite them to come and share with their family what they're dealing with and how they can pray for them and how the church can gather around them and pray for them, strengthen them, uplift them, uphold them, and for your glory and your honor. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.